Coming up on Toronto Today, a Tavares tweet. Well, he didn't tweet it, but somebody else did. If a Doan retires in the desert, does anyone notice? And the ACC, R.I.P. All that's coming up right here, TSN 1050. This is Bieber, right? Biebs? Thumbs up? It was just yesterday we decided Wheeler Kardashian producer Joe Bieber (laughs) bringing you Toronto today. What's up, Toronto? It's 11 o'clock on the dot. Happy to have you aboard. Six days from now, Leafs Lunch makes its triumphant return to this time slot. I'm booted. I'm sent off somewhere. Peace. But Andy Petrillo will be back in the hot seat next week. You know where to get at me, at WheelerTSN on Twitter. The text is 105050. The email live at tsn1050.ca. And the phone lines are open. 416-870-1050 and toll free at 1-855-591-6876. Plenty to get into. And let me just say off the top, we're not going to lead with the Blue Jays. It, it, it blows my mind that a team under under uh, 10 games under 500, that is, that there's really nothing to follow or track when it comes to the team. You hear it in SportsCenter updates. You see it on the highlight shows. We're going to start off with the Blue Jays. Why? There's absolutely nothing doing with the Blue Jays except for more losses and borderline unwatchable baseball. And we're... Heading into a September where the rosters expand and games actually get slower. So the pain is even more drawn out. Guriel Jr. is, I guess, the marquee piece. Mid-level prospect, if you want to call him that. There's nothing to watch. There's nothing doing with this Blue Jays team at all. Yet, they get all the attention. And just, just for an example, and you might claim bias... But really, this isn't even my topic. This is other people coming up to me and saying, Wheeler, you have to bring this up. That a team like Toronto FC in this city and what they're accomplishing right now, the best team in MLS, they've had a record season. They have more points this year with seven games to go than they've ever had points in a season ever in their history. The most watchable player in the league and... Sebastian Javinko with Altador, with Bradley, with a very good team. Why are people talking about them more? And my answer to you is, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, those who support Toronto FC are all over it. I think there's a lot of people. But it's like we're living in a bubble to a certain degree. Where the mainstream, whatever that means today, quote-unquote mainstream, just still reluctant to touch it, to, to touch it, sorry, to be all over it. And it's difficult on a week like this. I understand it's a bye week. There's an international friendly. I'll be giving away two tickets to Canada, Jamaica, a little bit later on in this program. But it's peculiar, isn't it? Because storylines don't stop in sports once the game stops being played. It's the buildup. It's the post-match reaction or post-game reaction. 
It's the rumors. It's the speculation. It's the prognostication. That's what drives sports talk. So when it comes to the Blue Jays, I mean, yesterday I wanted to talk Kevin Pillar, but then it kind of dropped down in the priority list about how next year, whether his outstanding defensive play, highlight reel catches, outweighs the fact that he struggles so much at the plate. Can you get away with an outfield with Kevin Pillar in it and still get requisite production? We were going to have that conversation, but really, right now, here in late August, it, that conversation doesn't matter. Which is entirely depressing. I mean, I don't, I don't know about you, but my fall season, my autumns over the last two years kind of revolved around Blue Jays baseball. Either going down to the ballpark, watching a playoff game, going to a bar, going to a friend's place. I think it really brought people together. And there's going to be that void that's going to be left with the Blue Jays not playing this fall. With that being said, it can be filled by Toronto FC. And I just wonder whether it will. I mean, they they made the MLS Cup final last year. And I still think that the quote-unquote mainstream is reluctant to jump on board. And part of that has to do with the lack of knowledge of the sport, the league, some of the players. You know what? Just, Just go up to a training session. Go on up. Do some interviews. Talk to the people. The team's entirely accessible. You as a listener, do you feel like you're being underserved? Do you feel like Toronto FC should get more of the spotlight? Or are you cool about with talking about losing baseball for the time being? And once the fall season hits, do they just drop into the periphery once hockey training camp Basketball training camp, NFL season, once they open up? Let me know. Let me know. I, I'm curious about this. 416-870-1050. 416-870-1050. Toll free at 1-855-591-6876. Um, whenever there's John Tavares news, I feel like we're falling into the same trap to a certain degree that we did with Steven Stamkos as he approached free agency. Darren Dreger within the last hour. Yeah, you know him. You love him. Our TSN hockey insider. Put out on Twitter, at Darren Dreger, amid, amid, is it amid or amidst? We'll go with amid. Which one, Joe? What do you think? Amid or amidst? Amidst. Yeah, okay. Because Dreger put amid, but I think he missed the ST on the end. Language police. Amid ongoing Tavares speculation, Tavares camp confirms financial specifics have not been discussed to this point of the process. So no financials have been discussed between the New York, don't call me Brooklyn Islanders, and Camp Tavares. Is this what we're going to hear between now and really next off season. So over the course of this NHL season, is it all going to be about JT to TO? Because that Stamco story, that was over the top. It was crazy. It was everywhere. It seemed like the like a near slam dunk that Steven Stamkos would come home. Tavares, 
you could potentially be going down the same road. But does it make sense? Obviously, it makes sense if you're the Maple Leafs in terms of adding a top player. And I love Tavares' game, despite the fact he only put up 66 points last year. 28 goals. That's what, 12 less than Austin Matthews? But still, like a, a very good player. He's 26, turning 27 in September. And a guy that would be in top-line center on any team. But if you're the Maple Leafs, understanding the salary cap and where this team is going, and now the salary cap is just shown year after year, it's not going up. It's remained the same. It's remained relatively static. How can you justify adding Tavares for 10 $11 million a year, whatever it's going to take. It's got to be in the 10 range, though, right? It has to be in the $10 million range. For the foreseeable future, when you know you need to pay Matthews, Nylander, and Marner long-term, as well as continue to build the rest of the team. We, we discussed it last week, about how the, or yesterday, sorry, about how the team is still light on the back end. They'll need some upgrades there. If you want to keep your talent and add more, can the Maple Leafs afford to add a Tavares or another star player of that ilk at that position? Because if you're comfortable, if you're the Maple Leafs and say, well, for the foreseeable future, we're cool with Matthews and Kadri being our one-two, then does it make sense to splash the cash on JT? I'm not sure that it does. I know Bozak's a free agent, but third-line centers, I mean, these third lines are playing like 12 minutes a night, 13 minutes a night. You want Austin Matthews to be on the ice as much as possible. Kadri in certain moments. If he showed enough to you last year that he is the ideal second-line center to take this team where it wants to go. Or do you need that secondary, elite, top-level center To take that next step. Can you get away with Matthews, Tavares? Maybe you have to give up. Maybe you need to trade a Kadri. Maybe you can't afford to bring back a Nylander or Marner long term. Or maybe somehow you can convince Tavares to take a shorter term deal. Which I doubt he or any other player would. Because, I mean, term of contract, that is a form of currency. That is guaranteed money no matter what your form is. Protects you from injury. It seems far-fetched that a Tavares would take less than eight years to go anywhere. So are we heading down that road, and does it make sense to even be talking about Tavares to Toronto? I know hypothetically, in a non-cap world, absolutely. Johnny T, NTO, for sure. But with the constraints of the salary cap, perhaps this is far-fetched. So when Darren Dreger puts out a tweet like he did this morning about financial specifics not being discussed between the Islanders and Tavares' agents as of yet, it's going to get people in Toronto excited. But should it? Or should that just be left alone for the time being? I'll open up the phone uh, phone lines on that at around 1130-416-870-1050 and toll free at 1-855-591-6876. And in the meantime, you can hit me up on Twitter at WheelerTSN. The text is 105050. 
The email live at tsn1050.ca. Should that be the focus, JT to TO? Explain to me how it makes sense and who would need to be sacrificed to make it happen. We're going to try to line someone up later on, maybe speak about this from a Leafs perspective. Also speak about Shane Doan. Shane Doan retires in Arizona. I guess he bought out a page in the Arizona Republic today to announce to his fans down in the desert that he's retiring after 21 years. Austin Matthews just tweeted out, at AM34, my childhood idol growing up, amazing player, and an even better person. Congrats on an unbelievable career donor. I like how he calls him donor. (laughs) Just add the ER. That is your consummate hockey nickname. So Shane Doan retires. It means a lot to Austin Matthews for obvious reasons growing up in the desert, but he played in a non-hockey market after the team moved from Winnipeg, didn't ask to be traded, played 21 years for a largely irrelevant hockey team. Based upon that, can we say that Shane Doan's career goes down as being underrated? Because there's no way that he got the attention that he could have deserved if you really liked him as a player because he wasted away in a place where people didn't care about hockey and don't care about hockey, with the exception, with all due respect, to Austin Matthews. But a place that drew flies at the rink, was a non-traditional hockey market who has stunk for year after year. And, and this can be the a cautionary tale for other Arizona Coyotes players as well. Scrizzy, can you bring this up? Uh, Max Domi was in studio yesterday with Mike Hogan, uh, the Arizona Coyotes player, actually heading back to Arizona to start training camp uh, this week. And he was asked about Oliver Ekman Larson and just his overall standing in the NHL. A, A really good defenseman, but a player that, quite frankly, you, me, others don't see a whole lot of and perhaps doesn't get the attention that he deserved. And Hoagie asked Domi whether Ekman Larson is underrated based upon where he plays. Not that Arizona is not a good market. It's just, um, I mean, we haven't had the most success lately. It's uh, mm-hmm. if we were in the Stanley Cup final, I'm sure everyone would be like, "Oh, geez, this guy's unbelievable." But when you don't make the playoffs, it's uh, you don't really see much of him out here. Um, but seeing him every day, you, you know how good he is, and you know what he can do in this league. And uh, he's a special, special hockey player. Max Domi on TSN 1050 yesterday. Is that the case, though? Even if that team's winning, do they get attention? Or should this be a cautionary tale? The Shane Doan story for players like Ekman Larson or Max Domi or whatever young players coming through. You might have an outstanding career, one worth celebrating. I, I feel that way about Shane Doan. Great career. Answered the bell when called upon by the Canadian National Hockey Program, Hockey Canada, he'll probably be the first guy signed up to play in Pyeongchang in the Olympics. But overall, Shane Doan for me, eh. Of all the great players who play, this is a 21-year career, and I feel like I'm diminishing his, his accomplishments, but has everything to do with where he played and the organization he played for and not the player. And, and we have the reverse situation in this city where some average hockey players get overly hyped because of the market they, that they play it. It's just an interesting case study for me, the Shane Doan story.
whether he will ever get the appreciation that he deserved. Maybe in Winnipeg, maybe amongst the hockey media, the hockey elite, but at the grassroots level, you the fans who mean more than anyone else, how will you remember Shane Doan? I'll just kind of remember him as a guy that was loyal to a fault, staying in a non-traditional hockey market, a place where the pressure was off, and hung out there, collected a paycheck, did his thing, was a great leader, great guy, all good things, but never reached his full potential based upon where he played. Let me know your thoughts. The text is 10-50-50. The email live at tsn1050.ca at WheelerTSN. I am Gareth Wheeler. The, the biggest story yesterday, uh, broken by our very own Rick Westhead, had everything to do with the Air Canada Centre, RIP, as of next July. The ACC... Corporate sponsorship has changed when it comes to the home of the Maple Leafs, the Raptors, the the Toronto Rock, various concerts uh, becoming Scotiabank Arena as of next summer. It's an incredible sum of money spent to change that name, to have Scotiabank Arena be the name of the, the new name of the ACC. Uh, $800 million over 20 years. That's $40 million a year. Blown away, a landmark deal, and our very own Rick Westhead was all over that. Nice work again yesterday, Rick. This is just a sensational amount of money that's being put forward by Scotiabank. Were you even blown away by the money that's being spent? Well, I knew it was going to be a big number, but uh, you know the fact that MLSE was able to get more money for a naming rights deal for its arena than any other market in the world, you know, more than New York, more than Washington or Los Angeles, more than the European stadiums where, you know, some of the the world's best soccer teams are playing. That was, that's a real feather in the cap of, uh, of, of a Canadian company. And I guess it really does show that Toronto, I mean, sometimes we, we don't really think of Toronto being on the same level as those premier global markets in you know, New York and LA, but this is a real affluent and growing city, and I think it speaks to that, and it speaks to, um, you know, the the what what Scotiabank sees, which is sports fans at a time when it's really tough to find new new young consumers, young people um, more than ever are invested in hockey and in basketball, and they see this as a way to try to get new people who are opening their first or second bank accounts. Right. Uh, I totally get it from that perspective. I'm a guy that sits here on the radio and complains about ticket prices, Rick, and how the affordability of sporting events in Toronto have simply gone crazy. But perhaps this just shows the strength of Toronto as a sport market. Is that how you look at things? Yeah, sure. I mean, Toronto, like like we just said, it's far and away the largest media market in Canada and one of the largest in in the world, really. And uh, you know, I think the, the talking about escalating ticket prices and you know, oh, I can't, I can't believe how much money the bank is is giving to MLSC. That's just how it is. I mean, we've had that we've heard that complaint for years. Um, and the fact is, it doesn't make any sense, and there is no logic. Why is it that you know athletes are getting paid? 10, 20, 30 million dollars a year when the best in our society, um, people who save lives, you know, surgeons and, and, and really, 
you think about it, it's a big deal right now. The Toronto Star has been trying to get hold of records from the Ontario government about who the biggest billers to the OHIP are, which doctors in the province. And so some of those doctors are making three or four million dollars. So if you try to put logic to this, I just can't see how anybody could talk about an athlete being worth $30 million a year while the best doctors in our province are worth a tenth of that. So, you know, those days are, are behind us. This just is how it is. It's incredible to me, $40 million a year. I mean, that's half of an NHL payroll, right? <laughs> like, this is a significant chunk of change. Uh, what differences will, will we see, Rick? Will anything change, or is this just all profit for Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment? Well, I think a lot of it's going to be profit, but you know, I would suspect that they're going to be funneling some of that money into areas to give them a competitive advantage over other clubs. Um, you know, and on the hockey side, for instance, maybe this allows them to do more on scouting than they did before, or invest in in new research or technology or new every every. It seems like every week or every month, at least, we're reading about something new that's coming out. Whether it's a company that's making you know a wristband that can track an athlete's sleeping pattern and help them deal better with jet lag and you know the strains of flying across the country, or, or, or new helmet technology, new stick technology. So I don't know, maybe the maybe MLSC has its eyes on sports sciences more and can use some of this money to invest in that and give them an edge over some of their smaller market rivals. Um, but there's no doubt so at least some of this is going to go uh, to the company's bottom line, for R- sure. Rick Westhead joining us here on Toronto Today. I'm Wheels at R Westhead on Twitter. Broke the naming rights story for MLSE. The ACC will be no more come next July. It will be the Scotiabank Arena. I, I always go back to this. What's in it for the fans? Uh, do, do fans really care? about what the name of the building is. Like, I've read people, and I don't know if they're just saying that because they have an emotional tie to that building and its past, but saying, I will always call it the ACC. Well, it's another corporate name. I'm not sure how, that, how much that actually matters. So is there anything in this for the fans? I don't know. I, I, I think some fans will push back. They're, you know, I think it's human nature to be resistant to change sometimes, and I understand that. But I don't know, fans that have been calling it the ACC for years... How much value to Air Canada is there in that? I mean, we do call this by you know, an acronym, right? The ACC. Right. So I put it back to you. Has Air Canada actually gotten its money's worth when for the last 20 years, most people who go down there aren't calling it the Air Canada Centre. They're calling it the ACC. I've always thought that there there could be more branding in and around the building for Air Canada. Like, I'm not, I'm overwhelmed with advertisements and sponsors, but that's just kind of the nature of being, you know, living in 2017. But I always thought, like, there's the Air Canada symbol on the top of the building for those aerial shots that you see on TV, but you're not bombarded and overwhelmed, I feel, by Air Canada. So I don't know if they got their money's worth. I have no idea what that deal was for, Rick. Yeah, well, Air Canada was paying about $4 million a year. Okay. Um, different times, of course. This is back in yes. the late 1990s. So maybe it really does as well show you just the, the evolution of the sports business and, and, and where things are heading. Athletes, you know, are no longer, the best athletes in, in the game are no longer making, you know, a million or two dollars. Now the best players in hockey are over $10 million a year. And, and, and naming rights is, you know, rising in kind.
Rick, uh, you've done reporting as well about the jersey sponsorship. Of course, Sun Life Financial will be on the Raptors jerseys for this season. Do you have any indication of what's coming up next? Like, perhaps NHL jersey sponsorship, but where could we maybe see Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment and the industry go from here? Well, I think that the NHL is looking very closely at what is happening in the NBA. In the NBA effort to try to sell jersey sponsorships, you know, it's not been a, a, a clear-cut home run. Uh, not, not even half of the teams in the NBA have sponsored deals in place. And again, it's late, late August, almost early September now. So I think that the NBA was a little more hopeful that they'd be able to get all, all the 30 clubs there out and, and, and have them all make pretty good sales on this front. That hasn't happened. Um, the NHL certainly doesn't want to be the first with uh, its toe in the water on ads on jerseys. And we've heard Gary Bettman say, it won't happen on my watch that jerseys are too sacrosanct and, and there's too much tradition there and they won't put jerseys. Um, I don't really believe that. I think it's a matter of money. And, you know, again, sports commissioners are in the business of, of, of talking to the masses and trying to calm people down in the same way that the commissioner would say, hey, the, the, the franchise in Atlanta is completely safe until it isn't anymore. Right. So, you know, things change, times change. And even though some, you know, a sports executive might say something, you know, one week or one month or one year, that doesn't mean that it's always going to stay that way. It, it seems like the NHL is a league that's looking for extra ways to make more revenue anyways. Like, they don't have the lucrative television contract of an NBA, the NFL, or the Premier League. This is a league that really it would make a whole lot of sense to go down that road. That's right. And, you know, it reminds me of a couple of years ago when, um, you know, some of the fantasy gaming companies were really taking off and, and MLSC and other companies, sports companies across Canada were really trying to carve out um, partnerships with those companies, uh, the daily fantasy sports ones. And the reason was it was newfound money. It was a category that just kind of came up overnight and that they hadn't been able to rely on in the past. But, you know, your, your points are real fair one. If you look at the NHL, where are you going to incrementally grow money? Uh, the, international, I suppose. We've, we've, we've heard talk about, well, maybe there's, there's, there's money in international tournaments or putting teams overseas. The, putting an NHL franchise in Europe just doesn't seem to be palatable to owners that are in the game right now. And after the World Cup of Hockey, those, the revenue, the, the profit projections um, and what they were actually able to make on the World Cup of Hockey, it was much less than what they had anticipated going in. So, uh, you know, I, I, we, the, the, that's the big question in, in the NHL for sure right now, which is where is the new money? Rick, we just have a couple moments left. I'm here with Rick Westhead, TSN correspondent. I am Gareth Wheeler. But I want to tap into another area of expertise of yours. And you've done a whole lot of coverage on doping across the world of professional and amateur sport. And for me, I, I, I don't necessarily want to speak to, directly to Maria Sharapova, but she made a return to the U.S. Open, and it, it was about her triumphant return after 19 months being suspended for doing a drug called, a drug called meldonium, a drug that many Russian athletes were found guilty of using in and around the Olympic Games as well. Heading into Rio in 2016, we saw a push to 
suspend to keep out all Russian athletes out of the 2016 games in Rio. That didn't happen. And I'm not sure if you've seen the documentary Icarus, Rick, but watching that just completely changes the way that I look at athletes, in particular Russian athletes. What can you let our listeners know about what maybe we should be looking out for, how we should approach Russian athletes when doctors who have managed statewide sponsored um, doping campaigns, when they come out and acknowledge that this was the case, how come there hasn't been more of a push through the athletic administrations of all sports to either ban Russian athletes or crack down on drug use more so? Yeah, I don't know why there hasn't been more, and it's disappointing because it seems like the IOC and the World Anti-Doping Agency, you know, are only going as as far as they have to. Um, there's little reason to change for the IOC. IOC members have one of the best plum assignments in the world. I mean, where else can you go to quote unquote work and get a $900 per day per diem? Um, the since since the scandal was uncovered by Canadian lawyer Richard McLaren, and again he found that over a thousand Russian athletes in and at least 30 summer and winter sports were involved in this doping scandal. Well, it's worth a look at where we are today. Like, how serious is WADA and the IOC about making and affecting change? Well, today, Russia is still refusing WADA to review um, a number of sealed urine tests, which are, are in Moscow. They are, the Russia is still resistant to the demand by WADA to replace the director general of the Russian anti-doping agency. So, you know, earlier in August, there was a dozen demands that WADA made of Russia saying that the government there must publicly accept the McLaren report and do a number of different things before they'd be allowed back in the fold. That still hasn't happened. So crazy. I, I don't know what the future holds there. We saw in the recent World Athletic Championship, we saw some Russian athletes allowed to compete um, under a neutral flag, under the, the Olympic flag. But uh, I don't know where we go forward um, you know, in terms of Russia returning to the global stage. Did you see the, the documentary Icarus? Have you, have you seen it? No, I haven't seen that. I mean, oh. the, 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 story, the, the story that brought me closest to this was the story of Cheryl Gibson. And for those who don't know, um, Cheryl was a teenager in 1976, one of the best Canadian swimmers in the world, and went to Montreal to compete in you know, a hometown Olympics, as it were. And she was beaten by uh, an East German woman who broke the world record by six seconds. Um, East German women in those games won 11 of 13 events in swimming. Imagine that one country being so dominant. The woman who, who beat uh, Cheryl Gibson, uh, her name's Ulrike, Ulrike Tauber, and she later admitted that she'd been part of the state-sanctioned doping program in East Germany, had taken steroids since she was a preteen, but refused to give back her gold medal because she said that she passed the doping test after she won the medal, and so therefore, you know, she she deserved the medal that she has. So one of the frustrations for us in reporting this story, we we went to the IOC and the IOC Athletes Commission and tried to get some answers about why they have not asked those East German women for those medals, medals back. They clearly were doping. It was clearly state-sanctioned. Why not do the right thing? 
And the only answer we got from the IOC or the Athletes Commission was complete silence. Wow. And I, I think the message that I take away from that is the IOC and WADA often will only change as much as they're forced to and as if they ha- as they have to. Well, it's political. Uh, lives are at risk. Lives are at stake. I, I highly recommend you check this out. It's on Netflix, Rick. Like it's it, reading your stories and reading the McLaren report. It kind of walks you through. It's like this American amateur cyclist who tried was experimenting with performance enhancing drugs just to try to beat his own time to see what effect it had and he was actually hooked up with Dr. Grigory Rodchenkov the Russian doctor who's in charge of testing at the Moscow's Olympics lab and basically he likens himself to the Edward Snowden of the doping world and kind of took the lid off all of this leading into the 2016 Olympic Games. And now he's in witness protection. His life is at risk. It's just crazy. And and, and he basically says that he believes up to 99% of Russian athletes are guilty of doping. And, and, and that just like for me, just sitting back here watching Russian athletes compete and contend in whether it be the NHL, whether it be in tennis, whether it be whatever... I just don't know how we can take what they're doing seriously based upon the loopholes and how they've taken advantage of these doping techniques over the years. So I I just just approach it with complete mistrust. That must drive Canadian athletes crazy too, right? Because on one hand, they've been brought up saying, told, stay focused, like almost religiously focused on your goal. Try to get a medal, you know, try to be the best you can, best personal performance ever. And so you find very few athletes who are willing to talk about this. And yet, if they don't, where is the change going to come from? The games are the athletes. So without pressure from the athletes themselves, I don't think there's as much of an incentive for the IOC to actually push forward with change. But again, the athletes are the ones who are going to suffer the most. Yes. As, as we continue to read stories and hear about doping, and as the reputation of the games is tarnished by this, I think eventually you'll see a tipping point where companies, not just the big ones that sponsor you know, the IOC and the global games, but the small ones, you know, your mom and pop shops that sponsor local athletes in Canada. Again, these, these athletes, even the best ones, they only get about $1,500 a month from the Canadian government for carding. So they are really reliant on local businesses to help them reach their goals of of competing in the Olympics. But if these headlines continue to be negative and about doping, I don't know, I think we're going to reach a point where some of those companies start to second-guess themselves and wonder, do we really want to be tied up with the Olympics? Yeah, well, we're just months away away from Pyeongchang. I know you'll be all over it. Keep up the great work, Rick. Really appreciate you taking some time today. All right, same here, Will. Talk to you soon. Rick Westhead, correspondent with TSN. Uh, It was all over the... MLSE sponsorship naming rights story yesterday. Scotiabank Arena will be the new home of your Toronto Maple Leafs, Toronto Raptors, and he's been all over the doping scandal as well. For any of you out there, if you haven't seen Icarus, like it is a must-watch. And, and Rick was kind of mentioning it about athletes not coming out and speaking. It's because it's not just their careers that are at stake. They're, they're endangering themselves, their families, by speaking out. This is like real life, not outside of the sporting world. These are real-life problems that are real, riddled in politics, in financial gain. Um, people have lost their lives 
trying to wage this war, wage this battle. You got to see Icarus. It will change the way that you look at the sporting world. It is the most important sports documentary ever put together. And the question is, where's the reaction? Where's the response? And there hasn't been much of one. More of your thoughts. The phone lines are open, 416-870-1050. Toll free at 1-855-591-6876. This is Toronto Today. Wheels with you right here on TSN 1050. I believe that the Sheepies played last night at the CNE. Look at that. By the way, 20 bucks gets you into the CNE this Saturday, as well as the Canadian men's national team taking on Jamaica. Soccer action will be giving away two tickets a little bit later on in the program. Lease Busters, they'll rescue you from your car lease. Lease Busters, heroic, maybe. Helpful, totally. People would love to take over your car lease for your lease relief. Go to leasebusters.com. Gareth Wheeler with you. Uh, story just up on tsn.ca right about now. Dave Naylor will join Mike Hogan at 1 p.m. to discuss. But it looks like Johnny Menzel worked out last week in Buffalo before a contingent of Hamilton Tiger Cats coaches and front office personnel TSN has learned. But the former Eisman Trophy winner will not be coming north anytime soon. The Ticats put Menzel through a series of physical and medical tests during their bye week. Coming away convinced he's not ready to resume his professional career. There are too many red flags, said one source. Hamilton's contingent in Buffalo included head coach June Jones, vice president of football operations Ken Austin, general manager Eric Tillman, assistant GM Sean Burke, and team president and CEO Scott Mitchell. The group left the session with the understanding that they would not be be pursuing Menzel at this time. wonder what those red flags were. Playing in terms of quality of Workout red flags, or whether the red flags come from off the field concerns. Because they went one road with potentially bringing in, a, bringing in Art Bryles earlier in the week, didn't work out. I wonder what those red flags were. Mike Hogan, Dave Naylor will bring you that complete story at 1 p.m. today. Uh, do we have a poll question? Joe Narsa, behind the or Joe Beebs. The Beebs. Have we come up with a poll question? Like, what would the best poll question for today be? Would it be about John Tavares? Uh, Darren Dreger reporting that there has been no specifics in terms of numbers spoken between the Islanders and and, uh, Camp Tavares in terms of what would be necessary to bring him back to New York long term. Would, Would the question be whether the Maple Leafs need Tavares? Or whether he should be a primary focus next year. Or whether or not we're going down the same path that we went down with Stamkos a couple years ago. Like, Is that the best poll question for today? Or maybe it's, would you be interested in John Tavares coming to the Maple Leafs if it impacted the Leafs' young core going forward? So that would, because that would have to be the scenario, correct? Right. Based upon salary cap commitments... That you may have to sacrifice a Nylander, a Marner, 
I think that Nylander would still be the guy who would be made expendable if you brought in Tavares. But let's be real, he'll be 28 years old going in to next NHL season. Are you more comfortable where Nylander's going on a much more club-friendly contract and a much younger player? That's the thing. Like, on paper, if there was nothing else to do with the salary cap or age or whatever, yeah, of course you'd want John Tavares on your team. I have someone write to me, you're an idiot. Tavar- or Austin Matthews is nowhere near the player that John Tavares is. Okay, well, Austin Matthews scored more goals last season. He's like six, seven years younger than Tavares and will be on a much more club-friendly deal for the foreseeable future. And even with all that pushed to the side, I would rather have Austin Matthews on my team for the foreseeable future. And that is nothing, or that is nothing against JT. Nothing at all. It's just where we see Austin Matthews tracking based upon what we've seen and what we continue to see from John Tavares. Right now, I'd rather have Austin Matthews. Am I crazy for saying that? I don't think so. He's an idiot. I'm an idiot, or whoever wrote in is an idiot. He's an idiot. So we'll work on a poll question to do with Tavares. I think the Shane Doan story is a good one, too. Would we look at him differently if he played somewhere else other than Arizona? Retired this morning after 21 years. We'll solidify that next and tee you up for the next hour of the program. In the meantime, hit me up through text, 105050. The email is live at tsn1050.ca. And open up the phone lines for you, 416-870-1050. And toll free at 1-855-591-6876. Share your thoughts on Tavares, on the career of Shane Doan. All that more coming up. Wheels with you, Toronto Today, TSN 1050.